And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. I'm Clark Corbin. Kevin, (laughs) anything going on this week? Yeah, you know, so I'm coming off of the heels of a... An epic three-hour concert by the Foo Fighters Thursday night. And in that spirit, this feels like we're going to channel Dave Grohl and and put on a really long, expansive podcast, because there is a lot to talk about this week. Settle Uh, in. Yeah, you know, settle in. As as Dave Grohl said at the start of the concert last night, I hope you're wearing comfortable shoes, because we have a lot lot to go over. Starting with uh, more action from the state's... uh, Professional Standards Commission, this is involving a fairly prominent figure, uh, at least a formerly prominent figure, in Idaho's charter school movement. Uh, Clark, you had the story, so get us caught up. Yeah. Uh, This week, the Professional Standards Commission released new documents indicating that they had suspended the administrator's certificate of Don Keller, who was one of the founders of Sage International School, a public charter school uh, in Boise. Um, Don was the executive director of the school, one of its founders, Mm -hmm. served on its original board of directors. And um, this is another instance of the state continuing its crackdown on school administrators who are falsifying or are submitting inaccurate data to the state. And there's a lot going on. Um, so, so what did he specifically, case. what did the Professional Standards Commission specifically find in the way of violations? Because some of it is, is really kind of relates to instruction. Yeah, it, it really does. And so we'll go through it. Uh, bear with me. We'll try to explain it uh, as best we can. There were three things that they pointed to uh, when suspending his certificate. The first had to do with teacher of res- record designations. That's an official report that's submitted to the state. And it basically had to do with Keller hired individuals to teach classes at Sage uh, International School during the 2015-16 school year, hired these individuals to teach classes that they were not certified in in a couple of instances. I think specifically uh, they hired a non uh, they hired an individual to teach a health class who was not certified to teach health. And then on the official state reports, Keller indicated that a different teacher who was certified to teach health was teaching that class, even though that teacher had nothing to do with the class. So, was a, so it goes right to the qualifications of teachers who were in classrooms instructing kids at Sage. Yeah, and there were three or four examples. They said he hired... Uh, someone to teach Spanish who was not certified to teach Spanish. There was an instance with, I believe it was an environmental sciences uh, course where Keller listed the somebody with the proper credentials as the teacher of record for that course, uh, but that teacher had nothing to do with that course and a different teacher um, was teaching the course. There was also an issue of a community theater elective program that SAGE participates in. Uh, Keller reported to the state that there was a teacher of record Uh, teaching that class. However, uh, the Professional Standards Commission said that they found out um, that not only was that particular teacher not teaching the class, no teacher from SAGE was involved. And so there were kind of three or so, three or four instances of folks who either didn't have the proper certification or maybe weren't certified uh, to be teaching were leading these classes at SAGE. That was the first thing. And and then there's something that really kind of jumped out at me when I read the story. The question of, did SAGE offer as many instructional hours as the state law requires? And the state is saying no. The state is saying (laughs) um, that in 2015-2016 that SAGE fell short. And what happened, uh, and and you had actually reported on Mm -hmm. this a couple of years back, Kevin, but Keller 
led Sage to change from a five-day-a-week school schedule to a four-day-a-week school right. schedule. You did a big series in 2015 about – it was kind of a trend. A number of districts across the state, especially rural districts, were going from a five-day calendar to a four-day calendar. You did a big series about this. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about Sage and why I spent time at Sage and why uh, we focused on them in the series was that unlike the rural districts that have – gone to a four-day yeah. calendar to try to save money. Sage, it was an active kind of marketing uh, approach that uh, they felt like they could attract students into the schools by offering this four-day calendar. They also thought that they could uh, enhance the learning experience by using that fifth day as a professional development day, doing some really aggressive and uh, assertive training uh, of teachers on Friday while the kids are out uh, doing doing Friday things. Yep. So... And Don Keller was a big proponent of the four-day calendar. When I did the interview with him, he said, you know, look, if I could go to a three-day calendar, I would do it. Uh, so, you know, really a, an evangelist for the idea of four-day schools for a very different reason than what we heard from the rural schools. So this whole thing about the instructional hours jumped off the page to me because of that series and because of what we had been reporting about. It, it really hit home. And where the problem came about, as I understand it, the Professional Standards Commission said that when SAGE dropped back from a five-day schedule to a four-day schedule, they kept the length of the school day the same, basically a seven-hour day. They did Mm -hmm. not change that. And so the state requires minimum instructional time throughout the academic year. It's state law. You have to do it uh, 990 hours. And what SAGE did runs counter to what I've heard in my research on four-day schools, that most of the, the rural districts and most of the districts that have gone this way Fewer days, but longer days. Right. Sage did not do that initially. Uh, They kept the same length of day, and so when the state went back through and kind of retabulated it, they found that Sage was 100 hours short of that 990 hours uh, for the requirement. That's a chunk. And Keller had reported improperly that staff office hours and that a zero-hour period early in the morning had counted in instructional time. The state said that that was wrong. Uh, there was a third thing, and uh, you got to keep in mind here that a uh, public charter school in the state of Idaho is essentially a, a, a public school. They're public funded school. by public taxpayer funded dollars. Public school. They work a little bit differently than your traditional public school, but they're counted as a public school in the state of Idaho, sure. supported by taxpayer dollars. The Professional Standards Commission said on several instances Keller had used misused public monies for alcohol. It says as a, a public charter school, SAGE had a zero-tolerance policy on alcohol use, and that on several instances, Keller had either used public monies to purchase alcohol or had submitted reimbursement uh, for the purchase of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the third thing. I talked to the chairman of the board at Sage International School, Brian Moore, and the Sage International School's current executive director, Keith Donahue. They said that they got complaints at the end of the 2015-2016 school year about Don Keller. They hired an independent attorney to launch an investigation. They confirmed that violations took place. And they said that Sage self-reported this to the state of Idaho and the Public Charter School Commission. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, Keller resigned his position. Mm-hmm. Um, After that, he took a job teaching science class at a junior high school in the Boise School District. And then this summer, the Professional Standards Commission initiated the complaints against Keller 
And then uh, it was this fall that they signed the order and reached the agreement to suspend his administrator's certificate for two years. They did not touch his teaching certificate. And so, so legally teach, speaking, but he, he can't can teach. run a charter school or he work could, an administrator. But he could not be a, an administrator, could not run a charter school for a two-year time period. The other interesting thing, Kevin, and we were talking about this just before we got the podcast started, was Keller is another example of a very prominent Idaho school administrator uh, who the state has now cracked down on for submitting falsified or inaccurate teacher evaluation data. Don was somebody that we always saw at the legislature, right? We saw him frequently at the state house speaking on charter school issues. We saw him uh, on more than one occasion, I believe, bring several of their students to speak at public hearings on, on education topics. I mean, he was... He was fairly prominent in Idaho's charter school movement, and Sage has long been held up as a as a high achieving charter school. If you look at some of their test scores, uh, they have been uh, they they've been a pretty high achieving charter school. So all of this, uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting stuff. And I think there's probably more to get to about you know where where is Sage right now? You know, I think there's more reporting to be done beyond the Don Keller story, which itself is a a pretty significant story, and, and good for you for getting it all put together for us. It appears that this is a very serious situation, and that's how we're treating it. When I spoke with Brian Moore and Keith Donahue from SAGE, they said that they've corrected each of the issues that was a violation uh, while Keller was the administrator of the school. They said they built back time into their instructional day, and now that they're over, uh, the instructional requirement time is what they say. They also say uh, they have more robust reporting requirements to ensure that properly certified teachers are leading the classes. But what these, and they're not even allegations at this point, this is a finding of a state agency, and it really gets to me at the quality and the credentials of the teachers and instructors that were leading these courses, and then the amount of instructional time that these students were receiving. And the state is saying, on both of those instances, Sage fell short. Um, It's pretty serious allegations. There's a lot going on, a lot to unpack in the story. If you yeah. want to head over to IdahoEdNews.org, you can read our story. Um, we talked with the current administrators and the current board chair from SAGE. I have not uh, tried to reach out to Don Keller for a comment, have not been able to speak with him. Uh, if he does, uh, if we are able to reach him or get a comment, we'll follow up and, and report on that uh, for sure. We also link to the document from the state that suspends his administrator certificate, and it goes into the reasons for doing that. So the official public records, we link to them in the story if you want to see that for yourself uh, and go through the allegations and go through the charges on an individual basis uh, one by one. So you can head to IdahoEdNews.org and check that out. Big, that was Big story. Thanks, Clark. Yeah, absolutely. That was far from our only big story this week. That was far from the only big story yesterday. Kevin, you had a chance to follow up on... A very graphic um, tort claim that was filed against the state of Idaho, and this caught up two public officials in it, Mm -hmm. and one of uh, State Superintendent Sherry Ubarra's top uh, spokespeople uh, was caught up in this, but um, it goes back to an allegation against Dan Goykachia in the Comptroller's Office, right? Okay, right. And the the news on Thursday was that the State Comptroller's Office has reached a settlement uh, with a former employee who filed the tort claim against Dan Goykachia, and as you mentioned, a very graphic tort claim. We, we link back to it, but it is, it is very, 
the claim is very shocking. I mean, yeah. it really uh, it's not graphic sexual harassment complaints, complaints of lewd comments in, in the workplace, threatening behavior. That claim has now been settled. Uh, and there's a cash settlement involved. The Idaho statesman reported that figure at $83,000. So that, that's how much the state has paid out. The controller's office has agreed to not rehire Dan Goikachu, who they fired uh, earlier this year in, in the wake of the complaint. Uh, there's also going to be some workplace training um, w- within the controller's office on, on harassment and, um, it, and discrimination issues. So that part of the story is over. And, you know, again, Dan Goikachia's uh, education connection was very short-lived in all of this as well, because after he was uh, fired by the controller, he latched onto a job with State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra, pretty prominent job. Real high-profile position. <laughs> he was going to be Ibarra's uh, chief spokesman and uh, lead person on governmental affairs. That job lasted barely a month. When the tort claim was filed, he resigned that day. So, uh, and the superintendent, uh, the superintendent's office really had nothing to say about the settlement that was reached yesterday involving the controller's office. Um, and what we have found subsequently, and we pointed out in the story on Thursday, is that Superintendent Ibarra says that she knew nothing about the situation in the, right. in the controller's office when she hired Dan Goikachia. So the the settlement kind of maybe brings some of this to, to some closure, especially as far as the controller's office is concerned. But, you know, this is, you know, this has been a pretty ugly chapter uh, involving, as you say, two, two statewide officers. Yeah, if you want to get caught up on that story, we also link back to the original uh, stories where Dan resigned suddenly, mm-hmm. and then when the uh, tort claim was filed uh, against the state, we link back to some of our earlier coverage, and then we kind of close the loop with the, uh, the news of the settlement and so forth. So uh, head over to the website and check that story out if you are interested and that uh, another story you took a, a look at, Kevin, we had some uh, new information about graduation rates and uh, the state's ranking, Idaho's ranking compared to other states. Uh, what do the new numbers show and, and where do we fall? Yeah, look, 14 minutes into a podcast, I got to talk about statistics finally. <laughs> um, it's been that kind of a week. But these were interesting numbers and I don't make light of them because they are interesting and they're significant uh, numbers. Uh, the federal government released its annual numbers on high school graduation rates. We found some good news and we found some bad news as pertains to Idaho. The good news, and we knew this, but now we've got some new numbers to support it, to, 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 to buttress it. Idaho's graduation rate is improving. In 2016, the grad rate came to 79.7%. That's even a little bit higher than uh, the State Department of Education reported earlier this year. So the number has increased. It's increased over the past couple of years. So there's your good news. Uh, your not-so-good news is uh, the state remains uh, behind the national average, which hit a record of 84% in 2016. And the state's ranking dropped a little bit. Idaho now ranks number 40 in the nation in terms of graduation rate, down from 39. So not a big drop, but but a drop of, of one notch in the national rankings. What this all can underscore is, is that the state has a long way to go here. This is another one of those metrics that the state is trying to improve and has some really uh, ambitious goals for improvement. You know, when the numbers came out, I talked to Matt Freeman at the State Board of Education, and he pointed out that the state board's goal 
is to get to a 95% graduation rate by the year 2023. And that sounds like it's way down the road, the year 2023. I mean, we're, we're talking about today's seventh graders yeah. are 2023's seniors, right? So, yeah, it's not that far away. And 95%, and again, the national rate is 84% right now. The highest state ranking is Iowa, not Idaho, Iowa, <laughs> at 91%. So a 95% goal is extremely ambitious. And to try to get there in you know, five or six years is, you know, it, it's, it's quite a goal that the state has set for itself. So what we're seeing is some improvement, some incremental improvement, but if you're trying to get to get from 80% to 95%, there's a lot of ground to make up in really not a lot of time. Yeah, it's one of the indicators that uh, we watch closely. Uh, it's closely watched in education circles, and uh, uh, so we'll continue to track it. We continue to be interested in graduation rates, and then uh, kind of the close cousin of an indicator, uh, go-on rates, and then mm. uh, college education completion and attainment rates as well. Those are some of the key indicators uh, that we watch, that policymakers watch, that the public watches, and so we will continue uh, to track that story, I know. So switching over to higher ed, since you kind of touched on it before, okay. uh, Governor Otter made some news this week by promising to make some news that later yeah. uh, on the higher education front. Uh, get us caught up with what he had to say uh, at the Associated Taxpayers of Idaho conference this week. Sure. I caught the governor's speech at the taxpayers uh, convention earlier this week. And this event is kind of, uh, first of all, there's a who's who of political and business leaders at this thing. And uh, it's kind of looked at as sort of the precursor to the legislative right. session. Uh, a lot of legislators and state officials are involved in this. The governor almost every year, uh, speaks at it. And so people kind of look to that, looking for any kind of a hint or a preview uh, to what the governor might propose in next month's big speech, which is the State of the State Address kicking off the annual legislative session. Um, the governor, entering his last year in office, I believe his 12th year, yep, this is it. Um, kicked, it, kicked off his speech by saying education will be his top priority again for the state of Idaho, and he pledged to go to the legislature and completely shake up uh, our system of higher education in the state. And he didn't go much beyond that. That was sort of the appetizer, if you will, and you got to wait another month uh, for the main course, which is the State of the State Address and the kickoff for the 2018 legislative session. And so he's promising big news on the higher education front. We don't know what it is. It was just a tease. But we know there's some proposals on the horizon out there uh, from other groups relating right. to higher education, right, right Kevin? Right. I mean, big transformative proposals out there that the governor has not yet commented on. If you look at what his own higher education task force is recommending, they're recommending big changes. Right. They, they want to move towards a digital campus to try to get more students to access uh, college education in public libraries around the state. Uh, that's a huge undertaking. Uh, that group is talking about trying to consolidate a lot of administrative functions in the universities to try to save some money. That's a big undertaking. Everybody who talks uh, about that in the university realm says that, that it's, yeah, it's a big job. Uh, the task force has talked about trying to move some of the state's higher education funding into what's called an outcomes-based model. So instead of uh, you know, funding... Uh, funding the base and adding to the base. You would put some of the money and tie it to uh, you know, how many students are graduating, how many first-generation students, how many minority students. You, you name your metrics, but states have been doing this all over the place. 
and the idea is to try to attach money to results. Uh, you have what I wrote about a couple of weeks ago, the proposal to create a higher education CEO right. who would be uh, kind of in charge of trying to streamline those administrative functions and find those savings. The governor hasn't talked about whether he's going to sign on to any of these proposals or advance any of these proposals. So when he's talking about a change in higher education and hinting at a change in higher education, it could go any number of directions. Yeah, take your pick on so, that. Uh, that becomes a, a talking point uh, on January eighth when uh, when he does the state of the state address. It becomes a listening point for for us as we cover that state of the state. Uh, we'll see. I mean, this could be a year where higher education is a very big issue at the state house. So, uh, yeah. The hint of news uh, suggests that uh, we could be really busy in the weeks ahead. Uh, we, we already know uh, we're going to be busy in the weeks ahead. It's going to be an interesting session for a lot of reasons, not least of which is because it's an election year and there are all of these reform and higher rec higher education recommendations that are sitting on the table. Which ones will be picked up? Which ones will go forward? What will the budget debates be? Um, what is the tax cut proposal going to be? Mm -hmm. We know it's going to be an interesting 2018, pretty much all year, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've got we got a lot on our plates here. All right. Let's stay with higher ed just real quickly. Kevin, you are about to unveil a major four-part series taking a look at higher education, our signature higher education goals, and some of the barriers uh, to reaching that goal and where we stand now. Tell me a little bit about the project, where folks can find it, and when it's going to be coming out. Yeah, I can't take credit for the timing, but it yeah. feels like this is a really uh, important topic to take on, and it's one that I've been working on now for, for a couple of months. Uh, our multimedia reporter, Andrew Reed, has been working with me on this. The 60% goal is almost you know, part of political shorthand right now. Yeah. Uh, the idea that Idaho wants 60% uh, of its young adults to have a college degree of some kind or a post-secondary certificate of some kind, right. something beyond high school to get them ready for the workforce. We're not at 60%. The, the, not close. We're not close. The, the most recent numbers are at 42%. So what I wanted to do with this series and what I'm hoping to shed some light on in the next uh, week is where have we spent the money? And are we spending the money in the right directions? Uh, are we getting the kind of results that we want? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to drop my numbers yet, but it's it's fairly significant. There's been a lot of money put into this effort and in a lot of different directions. And again, those those results, those those you know post-secondary numbers are pretty stagnant to the point where this, the task force, the higher ed task force, has walked back the schedule. They don't expect us to hit this goal until the year 2025. So we look at why we are where we are. And one of the things I think is really exciting about the project is you know, we talk to university presidents, we talk to you know, legislators, we, we talk to you know, folks who are in the, you know, in the political realm of this. But I think the most interesting interviews, frankly, were uh, talking to some high school students and talking to some high school counselors about you know, like, what's really happening on the ground here. How are kids making this really important, life-changing decision? And, and which way are they going? We talk to kids who are planning to go to college, planning to uh, go into the military. We talked to a student who is uh, planning a church mission and then college. Uh, we talked to one high school senior who's just planning to go into his uh, family's roofing business, uh, has no plans to go to college. And they're, they're all really 
smart kids. They're, they're, they've all put some thought into their decisions, whatever those decisions are. I was really impressed as I talked to them about the level of thought and sophistication that you could hear. And then I talked to the counselors about you know, the process of trying to yeah. help some of these kids through these decisions. That's really interesting stuff. So it's, you know, we got a lot of numbers that we're going to throw at you on Monday. Uh, bear with us on the numbers. They're important. Uh, we're going to let you hear from students in day two is just devoted to students, to, to case studies from students. And then we're going to look at the affordability question. And we're going to look at, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, we're not close to 60%. What will it take to get to 60%? What will it take to get new uh, young people into uh, the college system or uh, career technical system? So there's a lot there. It's a big project. It's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of interesting work for me. Yeah. I've really enjoyed uh, diving into this, and I, I hope you hope you read it, and I hope you uh, give us some feedback as you do read it. Uh, well, I can sit here, and I, I've read it. Uh, I've been lucky enough to read it and uh, kind of look over your shoulder as you've been working on this, and I can promise our listeners that it will be worth their time come Monday when this is unveiled. And just as a little teaser, you've uncovered in your research a staggering number that people will be very surprised about. And I think a lot of people who watch budget circles will be talking about all next week. And so yeah. stay tuned for that. Uh, I think it will really, it, it, it's a crucial topic. The timeliness could not be better. Uh, I, I, I promise you it'll be worth your time to check it out every single day next week. And there's an, also right. an opportunity uh, where folks can catch you uh, at the end of the week, right? Right. And we're going to be talking about this more. Uh, I'm going to be on Idaho Reports uh, next Friday. We're going to talk more about this uh, more about this project. And I guarantee that on our podcast next week, we will uh, we will finally be able to talk about what I'm hinting at. I'm doing my Butch Otter thing here, hinting at what we're going to have but we will actually be able to break it down and talk about it in detail. So I'm looking forward to that. But again, I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, from readers as we roll this thing out. So uh, drop us an email, give me a call, or participate on our Facebook page and, and let let me know what you think about what we're what we're reporting. All right. If you don't want to miss it, be sure to head to IdahoEdNews.org every morning next week, starting on Monday. Then next Friday, we'll be back with another new episode of Extra Credit. Uh, we will focus on that project, break down some of the numbers and some of the lessons learned and some of the barriers that you uncovered in your reporting. And then Friday night, you mentioned Idaho Reports. That's our friends on public television. Uh, that'll be on Friday evening. That'll be broadcast, yes. and you'll be going through the project there as well, correct? Right. And we'll be going over that. And, you know, again, we'll talk about it in depth in the podcast as well as any other breaking news. If, if next week is like this week, it could be an extra long podcast again. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of extra long podcasts, I think that covers just about everything we wanted to get to. There are a lot of stories we couldn't get to, but you can head over to IdahoEdNews.org, check them out. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, at IdahoEdNews. We break all of our stories on Twitter, and we live tweet the big meetings that you want to follow and you want to know about. Thanks so much uh, for listening in this week and every week. We really appreciate it. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, and we're really glad uh, that you guys have been following us through this adventure uh, and learning about education policy as we learn about it and report out what we find. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.